Hello and welcome to Dial F for Flanger. The uh, it's a chat show, I guess. I don't know what it is. We just do things on it. But today I am talking to uh, a man who is uh, revered and talked about in hushed tones. Um, I'm talking with uh, Mr. Aaron Myers. Now, uh, if you don't know Aaron and you've seen his Twitter feed, I would liken it to going to Las Vegas because um, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see scandal clad women. Uh, you're going to see <laughs> cats uh, on stage and all over the place. And you are going to see uh, magic tricks. And the magic trick is always, I got this comic for this price or I got this action figure for this price. Um, so his... His Twitter feed is constantly, um, ta-da, ta-da, look at this, look at this. Um, and, you know, I, I have some uh, personal jealousy of the man because uh, he seems to get hold of comics that I will never, ever see in my lifetime. And he gets them for a bargain price. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a real, uh, as I said, it's a trick. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, I, I imagine for every cool comic, there's about 10 Sovereign 7 comics that uh, are getting piled up somewhere. Um, so l- let's dig into it. Uh, Aaron, how are you going? I'm, do- I'm doing all right. <laughs> that was a roller coaster of an intro. Oh, thank you. So uh, have you picked up any comics today? Uh, yeah, I, feel, I got a few today. Yeah, actually. <laughs> it, was, it was a slow day. I actually bought a, a toy, too, and I didn't, I didn't even care about toys, but still yeah. bought it. You know, it was there. Why not? <laughs> but yeah, there was there's some good comics today. I got a couple of uh, King comics, you know, Popeye from the 50s that were on the shelf, and some Robotech comics that are kind of hard to find, but nobody appreciates them around here, so they were cheap. Wow. So, what is your? How did you get into this? Because I've known you from podcasting for a long time, and you did uh, comics therapy, and we were mm-hmm. once. Once part of the same um, cod, uh, podcasting network at one stage when we were right. Inner Circle Comics, but uh, yeah, originally your Twitter feed was uh, wasn't quite. It was a lot of ROM stuff. I mean, I, I know you're a ROM <laughs> fan, but sure. yeah, when did you start? You know, going. I can get hold of all these comics and um, I can, you know, make a, a turn a, a tidy profit. How did that start? Well, I think it was it was really one of those. How do I? The question for me became, how do I continue the hobby of collecting and reading and pay for it all? Because obviously, you know, even ten years ago, comics weren't cheap to have to pay out of, out of pocket for. So, with a with kids at home and a mortgage and everything else and a uh, a civil uh, civil service job, uh, it's not like there was there's a ton of abundant cash. Um, so it's really a matter it was a, kind of a matter of creativity um, and realizing you know there's a resale market if you know comics well enough. So I, I've always been a collector of things regardless, and I guess you, I guess I've always had a drive of um, learning about a hobby. You know, uh, so it really became, okay, well, what can I, while I'm looking through all these comics for stuff I want, what can I also grab that I know somebody else will want and pay a bigger price for than what I can buy for here? So that was kind of really the the start of it all. And it's just grown from there, I guess. And do you live in an area that's, uh, you know, flush with comic stores? I, I guess so, you know, relatively compared to other parts of the world in the U.S. Um, you know, here in, in Oregon, there's... There's quite a few comic stores. There was also just over the decades, there's been a pretty robust collector and reader community. So I think that's helped a lot. You know, like the town I'm in in Eugene isn't super big, but it has a lot 
of good um, like nerd culture stuff. So I think it's disproportionate to the size of towns that would normally have, you know, maybe maybe a comic store. There's five in the area, plus all the things that aren't really comic stores that are comic stores, you know, if you know where to look. Like the guy who has a storage unit that, you know, he's open certain days. And if you know if you know to swing by, he's got boxes of comics. Yeah, I mean, that, that's my problem. I'm pretty sure I've been to every single comic store in this country. And right. I think I've been to eight. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's, you know, that's the problem with Australia is everything had to be imported. And if it's Western culture stuff, it's, you know, it's not going to be in abundance because... There, there just wasn't that much of it being produced, and it wasn't produced there. But here, you know, there's this is kind of the heart of, uh, especially seven, 60s and 70s, there was a ton of comics produced and distributed throughout the region. Um, I would say from a legend and lore standpoint, the town that I'm in had a, had a semi-famous, in terms of the circle of comics collectors and comics dealers, the, the, the big store owner here was wildly prolific in his his own personal collecting and how that also spread out to the rest of the community and you know fostering a, a collecting community within the town here. I mean this is the guy who in nineteen eighty bought an action comics number one for six thousand dollars and that was the most that anyone had ever paid for a comic at that time and everyone called him crazy. What a fool <laughs> What a pool, right? And he didn't, he didn't even have the money at the time. He had to borrow money from his parents and wow. take out a loan. And it's like, what are you doing buying a comic book, you know, that you don't have the money for, for yeah. this much money? It's crazy. <laughs> it's like, no. I, but it, and it wasn't like, you know, it's the best kind of collector. It's the guy who goes like, yeah, but I need this. I have all the other Superman. I need this, you know, I need this for my Superman collection. Yeah. So I'm going to find a way. It wasn't, oh, someday this is going to be worth $3 million. You know, it was, yeah. no, I need this for my collection. So do you, I mean, you, Obviously, at the prices you are, you know, um, posting proudly, you, you're <laughs> buying a lot more comics than the one that you bought in the transaction. So, you know, in some yeah, sometimes, sometimes yeah. it it depends. Um, I do buy bulk from like several dealers, so I have like a a pretty standing kind of order with one guy in particular. That's every one to two months. He'll text me and say, okay, you know, two thousand dollars. And I bring him cash, and he dumps a bunch of boxes in my car. Wow. And they typically work out to be between, you know, it's 2 to $3 a book at that point. Yeah. And he, he also knows, like, we've been doing it long enough. It's like, I don't want a bunch of the same things. I want, you know, mostly Marvel or DC, or if it's really cool indies. Like, he knows enough, like, to weed out the bulk. Or if he's got bulk, he'll say, I've got four boxes of bulk for you. They're, you know, 25 bucks a box or something. Yeah. Obviously, you are you're putting in the work that other people aren't prepared to do. Is that the main thing? Yeah, he doesn't have the time to. He doesn't want to sell online. He, does, you know, he wants to. He's got, and I kind of know where some of it comes from, and I kind of know where he might be getting some of the others. But it's fine. He's doing the work for me to to gather all this up, and he sells it to me at a bulk price, and then I can keep probably half for myself. You know, if it's stuff I don't have, and then sell off the rest to cover the costs. Okay, so let's talk about your personal uh, wants and needs as a collector. <laughs> so, so uh, are you databasing your purchases? Do you know what you uh, own? <laughs> uh, I should have. I should have started that <laughs> 10 years ago. So that's that's a little bit of part of the problem is I have been mo more the last couple of years 
going through, like doing sweeps through the boxes and putting together runs that I'm really wanted to make sure I had finished. And I've been definitely finishing runs for the last decade or so, but every time I go through my boxes, it's pulling out a long box worth of duplicates, you know, sometimes yeah. it's, um, I, a database would have been great. And that's really something I would have had to have started a long time ago to go yeah. back and do it. Now it would just be such a massive undertaking. I, I wouldn't even know. I, I never would have the time. Yeah. I'll do it for you if I can keep one in 10. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have a, I don't have a huge comic collection. Like I have about 20 short boxes. Uh, okay. but I have a tremendous amount of trades. Like, um, so we were watching some British game show and they're saying, well, how many books does the average person own in Britain? And, um, you know, I was, my wife said, how many comic books do you have on, on your bookshelf? And I said, oh, about 1100. And, you know, <laughs> so yeah, I did a lot of replacing my comics with trades as they came out. So I, I you know, uh, with incredible foresight, I would sell all my Hellboys and then buy the trades. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it seemed like a great idea in like year 2000 <laughs> around then. Um, but, you know, now I've had some regrets about it. But um, with the pandemic, I thought, okay, uh, I have very few comic stores around me. Um, so there's, there's two in Canberra, one that I actually really like to frequent. And I got really scared that they were going to go out of business during, um, you know, the start of COVID. So, sure. so when they reopened, I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, basically stop giving money to um, Jeff Bezos and start giving more money to them. Um, right. So, but part of it was, okay, I want to buy comics that I can enjoy, but also resell. So, you know, th- there's an element of, um, I want to read this, uh, but I think I can sell it later. So things like Stray Dogs, I bought, you know, tons of Stray Dogs covers. Um, mm-hmm. And then... You know, I buy things I really want to read. I mean, that's the other thing with me. My collection is small enough that I can read everything that I own. Um, you know, and uh-huh. and I've databased the whole thing. So I, I, you know, a few years ago I got what the CLZ Comics app, and you know, just spent a few months putting every single thing I owned. And now it's like a bonsai tree where I can, you know, just dip into it and clean it up a little bit. But because of availability too, you have to be a lot more. Um, you have to like be a lot more sure that this is something you actually want as opposed to kind of being a like a vacuum cleaner for me. It's like, well, I might want this someday. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's all a matter of, of access in some ways that I've kept boxes of things I probably will never look at. But I looked at them when I put, was putting them into boxes and like, those are cool comics. Maybe someday I'll, I'll get to it. Yeah. Well, this brings me to the next question. How much do you get to read of what you buy? It, it's, it's tricky. I used to read a lot more like a few years ago and life in general gets a lot more busy. So now it's that balance of when do I have time to read books and what do I, what am I going to read versus organizing books that I bought for collecting and reselling to, you know, and life and work and everything else. So uh, I would say I get to read a lot less than I used to, but I wish I had time to read more. I mean, it's always one of those things where I have, five or six books, you know, a night that I'm like, I want to read these tonight, you know, after the kids are asleep and <laughs> end up falling asleep after, you know, two or three yeah. because, you know, I'm just exhausted at the end of the day. So it's the big intentions and, yeah. you know, uh, the realities of life and even, even new comics, you know, the new, I, I probably don't finish the new comics every week either. Whereas 
six or seven years ago, I was more voracious about it. But I was also collecting last, too. So how big is your standing order? Uh, like, weekly comics? Yeah. It's a little hard to say. Like, I actually shifted maybe a year and a half, two years, about two years ago to ordering through an online service because they give you a 40% off, um, whereas a local store gives you 10% off. And ordering most of my DC and Marvel that way and then buying all the indies and pre-ordering um, through the local shop yeah. to kind of break it up. And I don't really feel bad about that because I typically spend two to $3,000 a month at my local store on back issues and, and other things. You're putting it in, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, even like when you go back to the pandemic and the, the fear of closing, like here, the retail stores were closed for quite a while. And I was afraid of something similar. I actually was going into my main local store even during when things were closed because the owner was down there just inventorying, let me in. And I would, I still, I actually probably spent more than I normally would, you know, because I wanted to keep money flowing and everyone was buying online. So I could convert a lot of stuff that I might not have ever even bought and sell it online easily. So it's sort of like a, a, uh, a pipeline, you know, to keep the store open. I, first couple of months, I think probably $20,000 in purchases. Wow. So did you have $20,000 or was this a case of um, if I buy these things, I can convert that to cash and then keep doing that on and on? Yeah, right. Yeah, it was just sort of a flow. And people were, you know, like, especially even domestically, people were just didn't, if you kept your job, your all your other expenses had gone away. Yeah. And people were just buying comics and they were kind of buying almost everything uh, at whatever price you wanted to put them up at. Yeah. I mean, that that year, the pandemic year, I think it was I bought and sold like two hundred fifty thousand dollars in comics. Wow. It was a quite it was quite a lot. So when all this started, did you sit down with your your wife, Chrissy, and say, hey, this is what we're going to do? Or did you just sort of unveil it <laughs> <No>. bit by bit? <laughs> Yeah, it kind of kind of grew and 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 grew. Um, she does not appreciate clutter, right? Oh, go and I I appreciate that because that helps keep things a little bit in check. Yeah, I'm not cluttered, but there's a lot of stuff, right? And it, I could be a stuff goldfish and just keep growing into whatever space I had available to me. Yeah. Um. So there, it gets to a point where, like, I I have one storage unit, and I'm probably gonna have to get a second. And all the overflow stuff goes into the storage unit yeah. as, you know, I complete a run or something, something I probably won't look at, you know, anytime. That's just not the active collection goes into the storage unit. And that keeps the house actually like a home where kids could play and not be crushed into long boxes or anything. Yeah. That's sort of why I've kept my collection from growing too much is just it fits in one room. It's, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, the room my daughter used to be in, but she's moved out. So... It's all in one spot, and it hasn't gotten big enough to get out of that spot. I mean, it's not super nice looking, but it's, you know, it's contained. Right. I mean, just in Australia, you just can't, you know, advertise, say, I want to buy old comics, and people will come to you with old comics that are worth buying. <laughs> I kind of feel that maybe, the, just as a collecting part of the discussion, I'm not sure everyone's kind of keyed into, at least, you know, for your area, that there's a demand for Australian editions of comics yeah. and they don't seem to get listed that often so i don't know if they're just not around or if people don't in australia don't realize that the international market really wants those australian printings yeah i did help out a friend who wanted um 
Conan, so the the federal Conan editions and things like mm-hmm. that. So uh, and yeah. the old Justice Leagues and there's Hulks. There's a bunch. There's a bunch of like DCs and Marvels from the 70s. I think is when most of those printings happened. That there's a there's a pretty decent resale market internationally for those. The, I don't see them very often. I hardly ever see them. You don't see them in comic shops. I mean, most of our comic shops um, don't have the depth of back issues that a normal American comic shop has. Because, I mean, right. some of them have only been in business since, you know, maybe the late 80s or the 90s. You know, there's a few that are older, but, um, you know, many of them have closed because, I mean, the cost of real estate uh, when you factory and let's store our back issues and display them mm-hmm. is ridiculous mm-hmm. in australia so you know right. this uh, there was a great comic shop in sydney well when i say great it was great as far as inventory but uh, you know they had a, a back room which was sealed off with a, this uh, high-tech broom across some comic boxes <laughs> and uh-huh. occasionally the broom would be up and you could go in there and wander through and look at the back issues but uh, you know that was you know, in the 80s when I was a school kid near there. Uh, but, yeah, generally I found there's not many comic shops in Australia that have lots of old back issues that you can, you know, dig into. And certainly they don't... There isn't the value in Australian comics uh, perceived by, you know, the Australian market. So, you know, at best you'll find maybe Phantom Comics, which are hugely popular here, but you won't uh, see a lot of anything else. Right, yeah. Yeah, and they've got to be around. It's just I think it's one of those things that... The people that bought them, they're, they either got stuffed away, they're in attics, and nobody ever thinks that, oh, this is gonna, these, these are worth something. Yeah. yeah. I was at an estate sale once. That's where, you know, basically a farmer dies and all the crap on his farm gets auctioned bit sure. by bit. Um, so we went to one of those, and there was a huge pile of uh, 2000 ADs, and that was, you know, uh, but people went nuts for them. But, you know, in nuts, uh-huh. you know, I was prepared to pay like a dollar for each of them, but, you know they went for like three or four dollars each and Uh but there was no you know care in the way they were stored like a lot of people just think it's an old comic so it's valuable but they haven't stuck it in a in a backing board or a bag you know right and they haven't gone oh this must be worth something because it's old and it's like it's in terrible condition there isn't that (laughs) um you know assessment there's just you know sure this is that so therefore it's worth this and it's like eh no. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, to, to a non-collector, nobody knows really the difference, especially in terms of condition or grade. Or, mm. I mean, you see even the same thing with, we're kind of in that, that era where the late 80s to mid 90s people, you know, people in their 40s are now digging out their long boxes of image comics and all, you know, the glut of, of the, the industry times and saying, you know, going to comic stores and saying, okay, time for me to retire. You know, yeah. pay me a million dollars for these, please. And, and they're they're in great shape. I had them in bags and boards. And having to hear from you know the store owner of like, mm, sorry, these aren't these aren't worth what you think they are. Yeah. Which is, it, it's weird though. I mean, like the '90s have definitely had a resurgence. There are things that are worth money again that shouldn't be, but apparently, you know, like a Spawn number one is a fifty dollar book again somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I pulled out mine the other day and had a look at it and thought, oh, it's not as not as nice as I thought it was. There's a little bit <laughs> creasing on the corner. <laughs> right. Well, they only made four million of them, so it's yeah. Fine. But there's also a part of me that says, you know, this is an interesting artifact. I should put that aside for my son so he can enjoy it one day, or you know, 
right. look at it. You know, that, that's the thing, you know. The toys I wanted to buy when I was a kid are now, you know, really highly valued collectibles. And, you know, my parents sure. never bought them for me. So, you know, I'm talking about, like, the dinky toy Thunder Thunderbirds and, you know, Space 1999 mm-hmm. Eagles and things like that, which uh, mm-hmm. I always wanted but never got. But, yeah, I mean, that's informed the sort of person I am in the fact that, you know, I, I try to get things that are, that mean something to me. Um, I mean, something similar, I have been when it comes to toys, I mean... I, I've been doing the same. Like I could never, we, I wanted a Megatron when I was, you know, a kid and never got one. So I just bought one recently, but there it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have room to display? Uh, some of this. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple shelves in the comic book room that are for the statues and some toys, but a lot of them either have to get swapped around or they've gone to storage for the time being. Because uh-huh. I can't, I can't really display stuff around the house. It's not really fair to turn the house into a museum when I've got kids, you know, yeah. who are still kids. Yeah, no, they grow out of it, don't worry. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but so I try to keep it contained because I don't want to be like, no, stay away from the display case. No, you know, get out of here. Don't bounce yeah. the ball in here. You know, that's not fun for anyone. So it's more buying buying things that I would I want, and you know, someday it's one of those. <laughs> You know, it's the Twilight Zone thing of you know time enough at last, but yeah, yeah, it's still fun. The part of, the part of it is the acquisition is is fun too. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I sense from you know you're you're doing a constant feed of this is what I bought and this is what I paid, and you obviously get a lot of satisfaction out of that. So it, there seems to be you know fun in the process for you. Whereas you know I've listed a few things on eBay and it's like oh this is such a lot of work. But I guess, oh, sure. <laughs> but I guess you're doing that constantly, and it's driving what you do. So do you enjoy all those aspects of it, is that right? Yeah, but I don't. I really actually don't sell too much on on eBay anymore because I I'm the same way. I like dealing with buyers on eBay, and the whole eBay process is very unappealing. Um, the stuff I'll sell on eBay are typically like the graded comics because it's a little less like ambiguity in any of it you know you don't have to worry about somebody arguing over what the greater condition of it is as much as you would with a just a regular comic um and then everything else i try to sell through my instagram account and that gives you more flexibility you know being able to send pictures to people and negotiate prices and and it's worked out pretty well for about six seven six seven years so far so is some of your you know twitter posting is that to advertise that i have this so the people who want it can all you know go oh I'll, I'll not go really I, I don't feel like i really even talk about selling in the selling aspects of the collecting yeah like the twitter feed it just you know it's just it's really just like uh, here's a bunch of stuff i picked up and you know this is about this is about what i paid for right okay I really don't intend it to be like a uh, like a show off kind of thing. It's more like, um, I mean, it's showing off. Is in I like the response I get from people in terms of like if they have a a memory touchstone to a particular issue. It's always fun to hear from people like, oh, that was the first comic I bought, you know, at the local store when I was thirteen. Right. Or you know, I remember getting this signed by you know so and so at the you know there's there's usually a lot of memory um, responses to to stuff too. Mm-hmm. or interesting anecdotes or that that sort of thing. I mean, I, almost like posting the price is just legacy at this point. Oh, okay. You know, because it, I, I tend to spend like a Sunday morning just queuing up uh, posts for the rest of the week. Yeah. You know, so they fire off automatically. 
and just kind of post one an hour. Right. And then I'll go on a few day, times, you know, during the day and just see what, like, people will respond to stuff, and it's fun for conversations, and, yeah. you know, people will respond to each other. And just more as kind of like a jumping-off point for for comic collecting and, and comic reading in general. Uh, yeah, well, it does make your Twitter feed a vibrant experience for <laughs> us who are watching it and you who are doing it. So, do you have, like, any uh, arch enemies in the business, or, you know... <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's definitely like collectors in the area and some dealers in the areas that you're you're always kind of you're trying to stay ahead of, right? You know, like I wouldn't say enemies, but it's one of those things. Like, there's a couple people that are for, like full-time resellers, and I think the hard thing to swallow with that is, you know, they're they're there to scoop up anything they can because they don't they don't really care so much about comics. But they are looking at everything as a value proposition for them to resell to make money on, which you know I respect that enough. But without with that looking at everything as a commodity, I think you lose some of the beauty and fun of what makes cool comics cool. You know, if you get to if you get too locked into, well, oh yeah, this is a hundred dollar book and this guy's selling it for a dollar, or you know, or you know that they're going to be unscrupulous in their negotiations and that sort of thing. Like if your livelihood is so t- attached to it, I found that there's two types of dealers: the guys that are, you know, almost like dogmatic in their they're trying to be fair and you know have a good reputation, or the opposite of somebody who will try to you know try to get whatever they can over you. Yeah, so uh, the the person who will lie to someone about the value of something, or uh, sure, or even I mean, except well, stolen goods. Sure, I mean, well, and you know, there there is a um, that's always kind of part of the collecting thing. Like, there's been two times where I've bought stolen comics without knowing it and gotten pretty burned on on it both times. Um, and if you're buying a lot of them, like you know, that's kind of part for the course, but it's you don't want it to reflect back on you. Like one time in particular, a local guy who was, who was both a, um, he did like comic book um, pressing and cleaning and restoration things. And, but he would, he would collect as well. And it was the same sort of thing. He didn't really have time or the interest in listing things on eBay and reselling himself because he was doing other work, but he would buy collections from people or get offers and he would offer them to me. And he did something similar in, in, in one way, but it was a lot of good books, like Golden Age books, like Silver Age books. And he wanted a lot of money for them, but it was a it was the kind of thing I've known him for a long time. Not necessarily the most trustworthy guy, but it, it wasn't the kind of thing that put my hackles up too much. Yeah. Um, but he has stolen them all from a client oh. and and was passing them on to me. And like I knew who the client was. Like we got a hold of each other and I'm like, here's the books I got, you know, it was two thousand dollars worth of was what i had paid and it was really probably more like thirty five hundred dollars for the books yeah. he's like yep that's my book yep that's my book that's my book and i just ended up having to give them to him yeah because i know i wasn't going to get the money back and it wasn't right to keep them yeah that sucks yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've got a good friend who um had quite a big comic collection he had it in a storage locker in canberra and uh, it got broken into, and it was all stolen. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, he was doing the right thing by having it in a storage locker, whereas you know most of us just keep it around the house somehow. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, before I had the room, I 
you could open, you know, the top cupboards of any wardrobe in the house and there'd be, you know, four or five <laughs> comic boxes in there, uh, you know, amongst uh-huh. the kids' stuff. And, you know, I finally consolidated in one room eventually. But, yeah, that, I mean, that, that breaks your heart and it's, you know, very sad. Does he think it was somebody who knew he had comics in the storage unit or, or did somebody break into a whole bunch of them? And take no, them? they just broke into a whole bunch of them. So it wasn't, okay. a, you know, maybe they knew a little bit, but, you know, they didn't, yeah, they took a you know, what they could grab rather than, you know, any mm-hmm. discernment. But, you know, then it became a case of, well, this is a small town, so where have these comics gone? You know, mm-hmm. who's, right. who's, you know, making money from them? And, the, you know, sort of right. tried to keep an eye out to see if they went through some of the, you know, market dealers and stuff. But, you know, no sign of them at all that we could mm-hmm. find. So, But that sucks. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, every, every I think every collector, every dealer has some sort of horror story, you know, like that either bad deals or something shady i mean god i could tell knowing it's interesting the more you get kind of involved in the community you you know who to, who to deal with who not to deal with or if you it's not it's one of the not to deal with people like what to look out for you know like yeah. there's one guy i buy comics from and i double check all his his offerings to me because he is he's kind of known as the king of the color touch and he's an old school dealer who loves to blacken out the blacks on covers with, you know, with, with extra ink. Uh-huh. And you know, it, it's one of these old style um, dealer tricks that you take a, a powdered ink and fill in the whites or, you know, the, the scuffing or the scratches on the cover that, you know, yeah. where you have the black areas. And, you know, it, it's all restoration. And that's fine to do as long as you tell whoever's buying it that, hey, I, you know, I've, I've, I've restored this comic. But, he never would. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people won't deal with him because they've been burned. And uh, that's good and bad as long as you know either you're buying something that's restored and you kind of have to take that into consideration with what you're paying or you're double-checking it all. You know, it's fine, but it, it's worse when somebody is, is like that because you know they can't be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but that's sort of – there's just a lot of that when it comes to, like, really kind of serious comic collecting. I mean, I've bought plenty of – books out of the backs of vans that are not windowed or anything you know, there's a there's a you kind of take your life in your in your hands a little bit yeah <laughs> so weird so do you channel much of the money into the mortgage or anything like that but no i keep all the, i keep it all separate okay. like anything that goes into you know is made from comics goes back into comics right otherwise it gets way too tricky with with taxes and everything else, it's just a hobby, you know, written off as a hobby business and it all goes back into inventory. Uh-huh. Otherwise it, it would make things really funky with my, my taxes and everything else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're registered as a business. Yeah. The way you do it here is my accountant does it for me is like, it, it's a, it's a hobby business, so it doesn't necessarily need to turn profits, you know, as long as you're, as long as what you have is considered inventory and basically everything I have is considered inventory that, you know, is for sale at the right price. Yeah. Um, you can, you can operate it that way. Okay. And as long as the, you know, the expenses kind of even like, you know, grading fees can be written off, driving can be written off, you know, if you're picking things up. So it usually doesn't end up costing me too much in taxes per year. Yeah. So with the slabbing of comics, do you, um, how, how much of that is for you and how much of it is for the business? Um, maybe 50-50. You know, it, 
it, it's all for the business. It's all with either future intent um, or to complete runs. Um, I mean, everything at some point gets sold off, right? You know, it, it's an investment too. Like, I'm trying to be practical about it. That I and I guess maybe that was part of the agreement agreement with my wife is that I love the collecting aspect of it, but I understand that at a certain point you can't, there's not really a reason to keep everything. Mm. And and I actually have waffled on that a bit this year because the prices on things exploded so much. Yeah. You know, a, an X-Men one that I bought for 150 bucks 10 years ago is worth 20,000 now. Yeah. It, you know, it, but is it worth 40,000 in another 10 years? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and will you never ever see one again? So. Probably, yeah, probably. Or you know, you'll see them, but it, it's not something then you can afford again. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you're you're young enough not to have an exit strategy. <laughs> yeah, not not yet. But at what you know, it's also you either get to a point with a collection that you you don't want to be the guy who dies and then your family's selling it off at an estate sale for a buck a piece either. Yeah. You know, you want to be able to enjoy all aspects of the collecting is is the collecting, the completion, and maybe the fruits of the labor, too. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've definitely told the family, get rid of all my comics, but these three boxes. <laughs> <laughs> these are the good ones. Make sure someone looks, you know, gives you a good price for these three. Right. Yeah. And for me, it's like I, my wife has like, here's the people you call if something happens. Because <laughs> they're not, you know, they'll help you sell it for the right, you know, somewhat right prices, and they're not going to just come in and say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll cut you a check for five thousand, and you know, you have to help me load in the car." <laughs> because I mean, I, I've been to, I've been to those before, those estate sales. There was one a few years ago where it was, it was one of those baffling things of the story, at least behind it, was the owner had the intention of opening a comic and toy store, and you went into the to the house and it was just long back box after long box and rack of, of toys and it's like right they never got to do it and if that was the intention it's like god this all the stuff they've been collecting obviously for years and years and years is now being just sold off in bundles yeah well, it's probably just what he told his loved ones <laughs> yeah, i mean it could be like there's definitely that that hoarding aspect of collecting too right you know like it, it's very hard for me to fully rationalize selling off my collection. Yeah. Because it's not only just the it's it's almost like the fishing stories of oh yeah I got this at this you know garage sale at, you know at this time and I had to get there early and it was sitting at the bottom of the box you know kind of thing. It's the oh yeah when I pulled this out of the lake it was this big you know kind of kind of tall tales and you you always want to be able to point to that. Yeah. Like even even going back to the store owner I was talking about earlier, it's like I don't think he's ever going to sell off that action comics because he doesn't really need to. Yeah. And he can always be the guy who has the action comics he paid six thousand dollars for. Yeah. And you know, once again, never going to get another one. So. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's much cooler to be able to say, "Yep, here's my action comics," yeah. as opposed to, oh, "I used to have an action comics." Yeah. And I guess you're in the privileged position of going, "I have this comic, but now I've got a better copy." And I can upgrade yeah. my commie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of like, I buy plenty of books I already have because the one I'm buying is a better copy of it. I just did that with uh, Werewolf by Night 32. You know, I sold off my other one, and I'd already had it graded, so it was re you know ready to okay. kind of maximize its profit. Yeah. And bought a raw copy for less that's in better shape. Mm. 
Right, so I'll ask you some um, the technical questions. Um, who is the best grader? Like which company? Yeah, CGC or CBCS and PGS. Yeah, they all have different... I would say they all have different um, positives and negatives. I mean, CGC is always going to be the market standard. Mm-hmm. So for most grading, there's just not a reason to use anyone else ex- with some caveats to that. So uh, CBCS will verify signatures. So if you had something signed and it's it's worthwhile, but it you know it it wasn't graded at the time, it wasn't witnessed. Yeah. Um, CBCS is good for that, but that takes a while and that can be expensive. So it has to be something really worth doing that for. Um, other than that, CBCS doesn't really have much in terms of market um, appeal because something that's graded by CBCS versus CGC will sell probably 10 to 15% less. Right. You know, if you're, if you're looking to sell it and people always kind of ask like, well, I just want to get it graded for myself. And I always kind of ask why, you know, <laughs> like, if you're not planning on selling it, why are you going to have it graded? Because even if it's not, you know, you could be like, well, in the next five years, I'm going to have it graded, you know, sold. Then then there's a reason to do it. But if it's just to put it into plastic for yourself, it's usually not worth it. Yeah. So uh, CGC, if it's a straight, if it's just, just a straight grading, that's that's the one to use because that's what people know the most and that's what they'll pay the market price for. That's what they trust, is it? Right. Now, I use PGX a lot because they're here in town, in my same town, so I don't have to ship anything. And they will verify signatures, and they're really good in terms of market for things like um, like girly covers, you right. know, things like Cave, Cave Woman or, you know, any of, like, the Belladonna stuff, things like that that, I'll, that I end up selling online that there's a market for, and the people that are buying those like graded comics, but they don't care who graded it. Oh, okay. So I can save money and time on grading, and PGX is, is perfectly fine for that. Right, and they're not snowed under? Right, yeah. I mean, they, they're definitely backed up, like everyone, but, you know, you, it went from, like, 30 days to 60 days, but, like, CGC is 10 months now to get something back. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, next question. Autographs on comics. So if, uh, I mean, like, as an Australian, I'll go to a comic convention and um, I'm quite likely to see Nicholas Scott or um, Tom Taylor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I tend to get a lot of, you know, number one signed by them and things like that. Are they worth anything as far as, you know, long-term value for me or for other people? It, I mean, the, the signature definitely adds some money to it. The The problem with is that they're also going to be around for a long time, right? Yeah. So it's not like their signatures are going to be necessarily rare. So then it really comes down to what you're having them sign. Yeah. Um, it's like like as much stuff as Stanley signed, people always want something signed by Stanley, and you can't get anything more you know signed by him. Yeah. So you know Tom Taylor will be signing comics for the next forty years. <laughs> there'll there'll be a lot of them. So then it really comes down to what did he what did he sign, and is that book a key book? In, you know, in itself, is it is it already valuable, and does then that signature add value to it? And probably only if it's witnessed and graded, right, or verified afterwards. Sure, yeah. So it becomes very conditionary, I think, when when it in terms of like the current you know younger creators. Yeah. Okay. Or you or you sell it at the right time, you know, like a Donny Cates signed Venom issues at the time that people are really scrambling for them. Okay, so what's on your personal uh, Holy Grail list? What are you What are you hunting? It's It's funny because um, 
there's been a couple things this year that were really like big checkoffs, right? Like I wanted to finish my Fantastic Four run and I got a Fantastic Four number one and I wanted to finish the Iron Man Tales of Suspense run and I got the Tales of Suspense 39. <clears throat> so, I mean, I guess next is really like Strange Tales, you know, the the Marvel era of Strange Tales on up and there's probably 20 issues I need from that. Um, so, you know, Silver Age things, the rest just gets so hard. Like I want, I want to complete Hulk and that means I need a Hulk one. I think I need one, two, three, five, and six. I've got a four and those are expensive books now, mm. even in the lowest condition, you know, number Hulk number one might be probably the rarest of that first, you know, era of Marvel comics, like a 0.5 is $4,000 now. Mm-hmm. So it, it's still for me. It's always been the main focus is is Marvel Comics, more over DC. Um, you know, Strange Tales and, and Hulk, I think, are kind of the most on my radar. Yeah, but it's hard. I've got weird things that I've kind of gotten obsessed with too, like Teens Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've got quite a bit of the the main things, but there's a lot of turtle stuff to to deep to dive into. Yeah, I mean, Turtles is one of those things that it's like it was always cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then it became sort of mainstream, and now the old ones are really cool again. It's it's it, that's how it seems yeah. to me. No, I, yeah, I think so because younger people who weren't alive for the, like the first wave of turtle stuff see that as vintage, right? Yeah. And then old guys like us see it as stuff from our childhood, and so you've got two eras of competing collectors now. Yeah. Like like five six years ago, I could have bought a first printing of turtles number one i think it was five thousand dollars and i looked at it and i'm like oh, no i'm not gonna spend that, that much money on this i'll find i'll find one of these days and now like that copy which was in pretty decent shape is probably thirty thousand dollars yeah you know it's like one of those things where you kick yourself i'm glad there's a reason you kick yourself because other than that you look like <laughs> you're living the collector dream i mean if i was more if i was more focused i could afford some of these things but i i don't really like to be focused because it takes away some of the fun of collecting yeah so the things that you're missing you're not you know heavily targeting them that you're just you know hoping that they'll come into your your view at some point yeah that maybe one will make itself available that i can pay off to somebody or you know yeah or you get a really good deal or who knows maybe you, you get lucky do you uh, are you willing to let something go that you don't have another copy of to get something else that you don't have another copy of? Or mm, not really. Right. So you're not going to sell an early Daredevil to get an early Hulk? Or... No. The only the only thing I really regret is selling off my Walking Dead number one, and I sold that. This was kind of early on in getting into collecting. Like like Walking Dead was one of the the series that got me back into comics. Right. And I bought a number one for like 250 bucks. And that was the most I'd, you know, spent on anything like that. And it seemed crazy at the time. Yeah. But it was at the height of its sort of interest in terms of the TV show and, and everything else. And they were selling for like 2,500, you know, at that point. Yeah. And I wanted to go to the uh, comic book convention in Seattle, the Emerald City Comic Con, and I wanted money to buy stuff too. And I just didn't really have it at the time. Like I didn't have the same sort of like sales flow cycle that I, that I do now. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up selling it to have the money for the convention. And it was a it was a great you know return on investment. But um, I still feel like I wish I had that yeah. back in my collection as an artifact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. just as 
I don't even care about the rest of the run. It's it's more that that book, and I could buy it again one of these days. But that was also kind of a learning a lesson of do do you really want to sell like sell something that you don't have another copy of, and it might not be that easy to replace again too. Mm, yeah. So what are you targeting with your reading time? So you, you said you got very little reading time. So what stuff do you actually want to read? A lot of the time these days, it ends up being the indie books, like, um, you know, even I don't know if you count this as an indie, but like Nice House on the Lake or, you yeah. know, or, or some of the, you know, image titles, things like that. The keys, they're a little more bite-sized often, too. You know, and there's enough ongoing series in there that, you know, like Ascender, you know, which just finished, but you want to you keep up with those because you know they're going to end yeah. fairly soon, too. Um, I definitely go through cycles when it comes to Marvel and DC that it there'll be a run that is very appealing and then I feel burnt out on it and I'll switch over to something else. But I'm never at a, at a loss for, for books to read, right? No, absolutely not. That's why I always get a little confused. I mean, I understand people get tied to certain properties and they have a lot of emotional um, investments in them, but I just feel like there's so much available to us like in terms of good content that if something isn't clicking with you... It's really not worth going on a tirade for. It's like just find something else. Like there, there's, there's plenty. Yeah. And how much of your time is, is you know spent going through previews or you know working out what is valuable at any given time? You mean like upcoming stuff? Yeah. It it's hard. I I don't tend. I I did for a while try to speculate on modern things, and I just don't feel like it's. Something, unless you're really part of the people who are pumping, you know, there is a, um, there's sort of an insider trading aspect to the modern comics market that things will take on a life of their own because of quality content. But mo- I would say 90% of stuff that is quote unquote hot is because there are people with um, investments in making it that way. A vested interest into spooking it. It's, yes. It's like uh, Ble- Bleeding Cool the other day said, "Hey, you should start buying Noctera number one." And it's like, why are they doing that? Do they have a lot of copies? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, there there are groups that, and and you could be. I mean, you could get the trickle down effect of it. You can definitely ride those waves. You know, there there's going to be spillover. But the people that make their money off of these things typically have kind of worked together in order to create buzz around certain things yeah, or to create a, you know, a, a certain amount of like frenzy around a, a, especially an independent book. So, and there's, it's not like it's a stock market or anything. There's no, you know, there's no regulation <laughs> and it's, a, and it's a small enough group of people that you can influence what people start you know, scrambling for based on just having the right people say, oh, I, you know, this is going to be a, a big TV show or this is getting, you know, optioned for a movie. And how many times a week do we hear that? You know, at least once or twice. Yeah. And that really ultimately means nothing. So you can see, like, e- even the interest on a lot of things, it's like it, it goes up, you know, something that was $3 and now $30 for three days because everyone's you know, afraid of missing out. Yeah. And the people who had a... A bunch of copies somehow made out just fine. You know, they they've made their mortgage for the week, and then it's on to the next thing. So it, it's tough. Like, I don't really speculate too much on modern things. I will buy things that look interesting to me now. Yeah. And I and for years I tried to do both the modern and 
uh, you know, older stuff, but it's just, you end up with boxes and boxes of new comics that just didn't pan out. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you covered it with the ones that did. Yeah. Or you're sitting on something that one day may take sure. off, but you have to sit on it for that long to, you know, have, right. have and, the value in it. Yeah. Like a saga or something like that. Like I had it because I like Brian K. Vaughn. It wasn't that I looked at it and said, oh, this is going to be worth something. Yeah. Someday it's like no, I'm interested in reading this, you know, or or um, something is killing the children or something like that. Yeah, it's like oh, well, I like these creators. This looks interesting. Let's buy that. And that, I mean, that's to me. I mean, that's one thing I've discovered in the last year and a bit is that's not that hard to do. I mean, you know, you you can yeah. just go okay, this creator has a track record. This is a new number one they've got. Um, you know, oh, I right. want to read it. So, but I'll buy an extra one. You know, things like that. And I think a lot of people do, which probably drives half the sales of floppy, yeah. you know, comics these days is people buying extra stuff or, you know, variants like how, you know, what would the actual comic sales be if there was just a regular A cover for, for every <laughs> comic? It would, I think the sales numbers would be quite a bit lower, but that's not anything new. They've been doing that for 30 years now. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I've definitely seen change in the, the fact that, you know, covers were covers when I was young. You know, the covers were quite... I mean, I remember, like, when I first got into comics, I was like, wow, this this comic has an amazing cover. And then you open the comic and go, this is a completely different artist. What's going on inside? Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, I mean, there's plenty of there's plenty of publishers that do that now. Like, the interiors will never... Will, do not match that exterior. But there's certainly been a more... Uh, a growing emphasis on let's really showcase a nice cover and minimize the trade dress on it and things like that, mm-hmm. which I, I think is a really good thing. And you see lots of, you know, beautiful... Wonder Woman covers and things like that now is go. This is just a really nice cover on its own. I, you know, I'm, I'd be happy to display this regardless of what's inside. Totally, yeah. I mean, there's there's stuff I buy that it's not even for investment wise. It's like I'll pick it up off the shelf because I can afford it. You know, it's it, it's crazy to think about though. Like sometimes when you're looking at back issues, if it, if I see something listed for you know marked at four dollars, I go. Nah. I spent four dollars on this, but I won't even think twice about spending, you know, five or six dollars on a new comic these days. Yeah, that I might may or may not read. It's uh, there's very disconnective logic in, that I admit to myself on on some of these purchases. Yeah, hmm, amazing. Do you see your kids being interested in anything that you own one day? Or <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> I, they like they read. I mean, they read a ton of comics. It's just all manga. Like right. they they have neither of them have an interest in collecting that I yeah. can see, and that's maybe for the best. They didn't get the gene. No. Oh, nope. Wow. Both my kids got the collecting gene from me, but they, you know mm. they use it in very different ways. But yeah, I mean my wife is you know quite cross at me for doing that to them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I. I, I can't I, I don't think it's yeah it's not nurture because they they don't have the same sort of interest in acquisition I mean to I guess to a small extent like they collect Pokemon cards but neither of them are obsessive about it I think it's it's healthy you know for their age range I, but I, as far back as I can remember it was both to play with toys but I wanted to collect you know certain things. It was also the availability of it. Like, as much as you can get here in the U.S., like, growing up in the 80s, we didn't have any money. So, like, getting a yeah. comic book 
or getting a toy was like a big deal. Yeah. Like, you know, getting that extra thing, like, you know, a couple times a month and really having to like decide what I was going to buy. You know, there, there was a lot more emotional gravity to it where the availability of stuff these days, especially here, just doesn't make it feel special, I think. Mm. You know, like my kids, like, like toys, that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like, they just don't really care because it's all around and they're not very expensive. I mean, that, well, that's how it was when we were kids. You know, like, we were awash with Star Wars figures when I was a kid, you know, and it, there was never any sense of these will be disappearing one day or valuable or, you know, gosh, I shouldn't open these. Um, I don't know what, like, what was your, what was your economics of growing up? Like, was your family like middle class? Like, did they do okay? Um, I would say my, my, my parents are probably upper, upper middle class, but they, they weren't, they're not materialistic. So they never, you know, I, I never felt they'd go out of their way to try and get me something I really wanted, you know, Uh like I would do for my kids. Yeah. Sure. You know, there was so many things that I wanted desperately that, you know, they couldn't be bothered going to, you know, three stores to find, you know what I mean? They, uh-huh, would, uh-huh. they would look in one place, and if it wasn't there, that was it. And, you know, I, there was a big emphasis on getting um, clothing for your birthday as well. So, sure, yeah. You know, but yeah. uh, my mum and dad, well, my mum particularly always favoured reading, so I would get a lot of Doctor Who books and, and things like that mm-hmm. because I liked reading, and she thought reading had uh, merit, unlike, you know, a toy. Sure, yeah. And for me, it was like all of that stuff. My parents would have been happy to get it. It was, but sometimes it was, well, that we have to get, you know, clothes or you have to get shoes or we need to get our groceries before we can think about any kind of like G.I. Joe or Transformer or anything like that. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think I felt more the economic pinch of being able to get you know, wanting a whole bunch of stuff like every kid does. And God, like thinking back on just the commercial culture of the, of the eighties, especially in the U S of like everything being a commercial, every TV show being a commercial for toys and, and something else. Like it was just the, the glut of that, but then also not being able to kind of fulfill that, um, you know, and then every time you could, it just being such a, like such a moment. Yeah. You know, you so, see, so I think it got, uh, ingrained a little more uh, emotionally for me and then having having these things or being able now to acquire as an adult the things I couldn't get has has this emotional weight to it that is probably unhealthy but you know it's like kind of fulfilling <laughs> fulfilling uh, an unrequited love you know from from your childhood in a way yeah I mean I guess that's the aspect of this if you obsess over what you're doing it does become out of balance with your life. And, you know, uh, I I recall the year and a half I got into Magic Cards um, <laughs> as being, you know, that was almost a marriage breaker as far as I spent all my time <laughs> thinking about that. You right. Know, and my wife was, oh. you know, like every time I was sitting near my wife, I was actually, plan- you know, building a deck in my head, you know, <laughs> rather than I, b- being I with didn't... her. I can very much understand. I had to sell, like, going back to, like, my collection starting. So I I kept all my Magic cards from when it started, and I started playing back in beta, and I basically kept everything. And they had been put away for, you know, a while. And then when I started getting back into comics, I kind of unearthed everything I had kept, too, from childhood and, and everything else. And even then, like, oh, I'm like, oh, God, this 
these dual lands are worth, you know, 200 bucks a piece. And, you know, like my whole collection ended up being worth maybe $20,000 at that time. And that was a big seed fund for starting my comic book collection. Oh, there you go. Um, I, and then for all the time I wasn't really reading or collecting comics, I would just, you know, you'd go to a Goodwill here or, you know, flea markets or whatever, and just buy up, I would buy up vintage video game stuff. And we had what's the comic book room now was filled with like video game systems and vintage computers and the magic cards and some toys. And I ended up selling off all the, all the video game systems and all the magic cards because I, I too got back into magic and it's like, uh, it's like an alcoholic having, you know, a bottle of open whiskey <laughs> on the shelf. Like I can't have it in the house because yeah. if I, if I have any magic cards in the house, I will fall back into the addiction. So I had to sell it all, all off, not keep anything. Otherwise <laughs> I would just, I would fall off the wagon again. Mm. Like it, I get to that. Magic is definitely a obsessive thing that I just don't have time for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my kids say to me, "Why don't you play video games?" And I, I always say to them, "I don't have time for two hobbies. You know, I've got time right. for one." Yeah. And comics is my love. Like, I really enjoy, you know, reading comics constantly and looking at them, and I, I like thinking about which ones I want to buy. Um, yep. And I like organizing them and having them, you know, well curated, I guess. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, but I, I just don't have time to put that in. I mean, I, I watch movies and TV, but, you know, comics is probably the... If I had to cut out everything and only have one thing, it would be comics. So. Yeah, mm. no, me too. Everything else... I mean, I wish I had, right, 72 hours a day to play video games and play Magic and and collect and read comics and also somehow maintain a marriage and <laughs> raise children but, <laughs> and keep a job and, you know, and have unlimited money, but you can't do it all and... Uh, when it came down to like, what do I want to do? It, it, the comics are always interesting to me. There's always something new to learn. There's always some lore. There's always some new series, new or old to discover, you know, mm. new artists, that sort of thing. Like, like I just bought a bunch of sketchbooks of, um, um, you know, off of like Cadence comic art that I just, they're not going to be, it's not an investment, but I love the art in there. You know, I want to, I want to look through them. Um, there's just uh there's just the depths of it you know there's there's no bottom if you really are passionate about the medium yeah well that sounds like a good place to leave it thank you aaron you're an inspiration as far as uh (laughs) someone who has gone further and harder than i ever did but uh yeah it sounds like my pleasure got your feet planted on the ground while you're doing that so thanks very (laughs) much i'm trying to no problem (laughs) uh where can people follow you if they and see your stuff and buy your your stuff if they want I mean, I guess the easiest is just uh, Twitter is kind of a good jumping off point for everything. So just uh, at A-A-R-O-N-M-E-Y-E-R-S. Just my name, Aaron Myers. Awesome. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.